Hey, Balls Magic. Welcome back to How to Be Queer. My name is Alex. My pronouns are they, them. Hey, Alex, it's Kim. Guess what? I'm your wife. <laughs> You're my wife. Look at you, cutie, in your little pants and your sweater. Yeah, you like my outfit today, I huh? do. I had a moment with myself. Um, my, Kim, pronouns are she, her. <laughs> I'm Alex's wife. I'm already sexual harassing you. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm good with it. I, I like it. I, I did put on a cute little outfit today. You did. And it's very COVID friendly. Oh. Right. Like it's still, it's like athleisure pants. It's f- fancy ass athleisure, but they've got they're So they're like leggings, but they have like a, like a sheen to them. So mm-hmm. they kind of look like they're leathery, but they're not. And then I have a cute little like red top on that has a little tie in the back. Yeah. I know I'm feeling my outfit today too. Yeah, I got all the beeps right now. Beep, 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 beep. Wow. <laughs> isn't that a good segue to what we're talking about today? Yep. What are we talking about today, Alex? Um, well, I mean, is it queer sex, queerness and sex and identity? Yeah. So this is a, this is an episode that's going to come actually in a couple parts. And so, um, you know, we, we've been, we tried obviously to be super transparent in our podcast of, of, of it being called how to be queer in a heteronormative world is really what our podcast has been about. And so, um, we're, we are powered by youth scene. I just want to do a quick shout out to them. Um, please, if you, if you have the means and ability, please go over to the website, youthscene.org. That's S E E N show them some, some love, whether it's through promoting them on social media. If you, if you have the ability to send a couple dollars, they are what actually brings this podcast to you Yep. and they do amazing work, especially for, you know, focusing on our QT BIPOC population. So yeah. Follow Thank you. Seen. Follow yeah. you seen. Yeah. Follow you seen on Instagram. Um, we just got on TikTok and uh, Facebook. Um, but the, one of the things that we've been talking about with, with our partners over at youth scene is really understanding what there's aspects of sexuality and sexual experience that are very unique to and healing and healing, mm-hmm. um, to a person who identifies as anything off of the binary. So non-binary, uh, gender queer and, and trans and, and being a person who is transgender. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's very unique experiences for the person. If you are cisgendered with them, because yeah. it's not your experience. And so how do you show up to be a partner and, and a supportive partner in, in sexual spaces, so to speak, right. We can talk all, all day long about what it's like when you're not in sexual experiences with your partner, about what support, like support looks like. Um, so the partner aspect of this conversation is going to happen in a few weeks mm-hmm. where, um, I believe I will be, I will, we will be joined by, um, some other folks where one part of the, the couple is, uh, identifies somewhere as, you know, non, non-binary or transgender and the partner is cisgendered. So that episode is coming in a couple of weeks, but today, um, Alex, I just, you know, I, I love you <laughs> and, um, you're going to share some really vulnerable, vulnerable spaces with us. Yeah. I'm going to share some details about my transition that I really haven't talked about before. That we haven't talked about before. And it is our, it is always our shared hope that we know we can see a little bit of information of the, you know, we've got lots of you are out here listening to us and some of the information that we have on those of you that are listening are a part of our non-binary transgender community. Yeah. Hey. 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 And so our hope is that in hearing um this really sort of vulnerable space that Alex is going to share with us, that it brings you some healing too. Yep. 
So I guess I'll preface some of this by saying that we are both individuals that connect um, sex with shared intimacy. Yes. Um, not necessarily just like, well, this is what happens to your body. Right. Yeah. That there's a sense of like intimacy and emotional connection. And that's, that's actually what makes sex, sex. Yeah. Right? It makes, makes it, it good. Makes it good. <laughs> um, but that was not always the case for you. Yeah. Oh, that was a big, and you ready? Yeah. I was, um, just asking myself, okay, where do you want to start? I might need a little, you might need a little help. So I'll ask you a question. Um, you, you identify as non-binary, mm-hmm. but it took you a little bit to, you got the language for non-binary, which we've talked about a lot about in this podcast, yeah. right? Um, for those of you who might just be joining us, either go back and listen, or I'm going to give you the two second update here. Alex, uh, always felt a little bit like a boy, a little bit like a girl. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And just, yeah. I hate speaking for you. Keep going. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I guess, um, I mean, we're talking about, I'll, I'll, kind of do a quick summary again, because I know y'all have heard this um, in other episodes about my my coming out or my knowledge about discovering that I was non-binary was very kind of clean in a sense that I was in a therapies, uh, a in, therapist, therapies. in therapies, well, yeah, <laughs> I that like too. That, can it? <laughs> yeah, in therapists, um, in a ther- my therapist's office. And it was like, just talking about the way I was feeling and um, who how I feel, how I view myself and trying to understand, um, not knowing how I felt, trying to understand how I felt getting the language. And so it was kind of, you know, again, I had a queer therapist. And so this person was able to kind of lay out like the tools, like, okay, so here's some words, do any of these fit you? And then hearing the word non-binary and it was like, you know, the earth opened up. And so the, the, um, the proof, I guess, is just the knowingness, like, yep, that's me. And then I remember, so let's, so leading a step closer into my coming out as transgender. So I remember asking my therapist, well, do you think I'm non-binary or transgender? And they, and they said, well, I I do think you're non-binary. So in that moment, I needed that validation. I needed someone else to say, I, I needed, I don't need that now but I needed someone else to say, um, you know, that I was saying, yes, I'm non-binary and I need you to, to tell me also, which is a little bit of like, probably a fighting my own voice. So there was that. And I want to ask the question, what is the difference between non-binary and transgender again? So non, not all, I always say non not all non-binary people are transgender and not all transgender people are non-binary. Non-binary is basically you're living outside the binary of male and, and female of um, you're, you're both, you're neither, you're, um, you're outside the binary. And so transgender is a term that is, can be an umbrella term where if you are anything outside cisgender, so gender queer or um, you know non-binary, um, but essentially all of these words come back to who you feel that you are, and no one gets to tell you that. And I use transgender for me because later I realized, you know, because I transitioned, I, I transitioned a, a, away from a lot of things, but away from 
the sex I was assigned at birth. And so um, I have a friend who's non-binary, but they do not use the word trans for themselves. And, and then I, I mean, I use both. I know of other friends that use both. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I know it can be a little bit um, confusing for lack of a better word for folks, because yeah. it's not our lived experience. Um, so I, I always, I love that when you can, you know, I, and you're very generous in explaining something to me that quite frankly, you don't have to explain, but thank you for doing it anyway and educating me. But I do find it fascinating to think of, you know, non-binary is this sense of like, whatever the, um, you know, cisgendered sort of heteronormative ways that we view gender, you're, you don't feel those, but you could feel one gender a little bit more than another. You could feel neither gender. You could feel right smack in the middle. Like there's a lot of different ways to be non-binary. Yeah. I used to think of it for in my, cause it's, it's transitioned even within my own transition. Like I was like, I'm a little bit of both. And now I literally think I'm a human. Yeah. You just don't assign necessarily with feeling either gender. You just feel yourself. Yeah. Which boy, I mean, shouldn't that be the goal for all of us? Yeah. It took a while. It took a hell of a lot of work and time to get here, but yeah, it's just like where I'm here. I am. So when you were first getting the language about being non-binary, you, you were telling me this story before that there was something very specific that came to your mind. Do you mind sharing with everyone what that was? Yeah. Well, I want to say really, really quick too, that transgender is also, you can meet binary transgender or, you know, that would be a transgender man, transgender woman. Right. Okay. So, so you're still in the binary, but you're considered trans transgender. Right. Got yeah, it. Correct. Thank so you. I just want to clear that up for everybody. Um, so I'm sorry. So what did you say again? Well, when you got the language oh, the of non-binary, thing. right, there was yeah. something really specific that you, you told me came to your mind. Do you want to share with everyone what that was? Yeah. So right away, um, I acknowledged that I was non-binary and my pretty much my next thought was oh good I'm not trans like I um I did not it was like of these two things non-binary was safer and um but I looking back I obviously had a tremendous amount of of, of internalized transphobia because what I really was doing was rejecting what it meant to be transgender and wasn't even willing to look at it. Like, nope, great. I'm glad I'm not that. Um, and why do you think, I mean, you, I think it's kind of obvious, but it, it probably is good to, to say it out loud. Why do you think you had internalized transphobia? Oh, um, because of how our society is. Yeah. And um, I grew up in a household with very loving parents, but also had zero clue about queer culture. And then basically, you know, all the things we've talked about before where, you know, tr in media and trans people are depicted as crazy or psychotic or, um, you know, they get killed or there's a lot of violence, yeah. a lot of violence around, around these messages we get about what it means to be trans. And so I was like, well, I don't want to die. I don't want to be the thing that's going to make me die. Right. So it made sense why I was like, oh, good. But I was in tremendously, I mean, it was really like with a lot of kind of spit in a, a figurative sense, like, good. I'm glad I'm not that when I was exactly that. Well, and I always, I love this because you told me that you had spent um, a really long period of time asking the universe for answers. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, I just want, just, I just want the truth. Like, give me the truth. And so the universe, you know, um, I figured out I was non-binary and, 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 and had that whole thing with, okay, I'm glad I'm not trans. And it was almost like the universe said, okay, I'm going to give you this one more time. And in about a month and a half, I'm going to give you no way out. <laughs> Thanks universe. Thanks, universe. And that's a bit of like what we're going to talk about today is what you would ask. So you get non-binary. Thank God I'm not trans. I have internalized transphobia. I don't want to look at this universe. Give me an answer to why I still don't quite feel right. And boy, <laughs> did the universe answer like hit me upside the head. Yep. So I know you want to kind of share this a little bit. So I do. Yeah. Um, so I guess, um, you know, I want to normalize that we can have healing experiences that can feel traumatic in the middle of sexual experiences. And because when you feel safe with a partner, um, all sorts of things are going to come up and you really have no control <laughs> over what comes up. And so um, you and I, that's, hold on a second. That is yeah. so true. Yeah. And something that doesn't really get talked about a lot, right. That when you're in these really vulnerable, connected sexual experiences, it can open up all sorts of things, all sorts of things that are not necessarily connected to what you're doing in that moment. But is it just because your soul is in a vulnerable spot? Yeah. And, and so that, you know, because our when you're in a state of, of certain connection and you feel safe in your body, it, it is almost like, okay, well, I'm balanced and comfortable, but, um, you know, yeah, it can just open up, um, deeper knowingness of yourself. Yeah. Okay. Thank um, you for pa- letting me pause on that. Cause I was like, oh, I want to grab onto that, that nugget right there. Yeah. Right. Keep going, babe. Well, and so I don't know if I've talked about this before, but I, I, so Dr. Nicole LaPera, um, she wrote the book, how to, um, how to do the work. And she is also in, in, in the queer community and she talks a little bit about queerness, but she most, mostly her work is in how to heal yourself. And it's a lot of breath work, which we talked a little bit about, but, um, that, you know, when we talk about healing, it's, we're essentially trying that, that trauma is just based off the person's perception of what happened. And so, um, normalizing that, you know, you could have a trauma response during sex and, um, it's like, it's like the vulnerability unlocks more truth and then you're, but you're, so your body is kind of like, well, I'm enjoying, I'm, I'm experiencing this, this, this pleasure and then it can, other things can happen. Um, okay. So I guess I'll just kind of drop right into, I'm looking at my notes here. I so that you have notes. I know, <laughs> but, um, I guess I'll, well, okay. I'll, I'll talk about what happened and then we can go back into like what I think also was happening under, in the middle of everything. So the night before I, you and I were together and I basically th- said to you, just kill me now. 
and um, it just feeling like life cannot get any better. <laughs> These are not bad words to hear when you're in an intimate space with someone. Just kill yep. me now. Life cannot get any better than this. This, yes, I feel completely complete, and um. And so the universe is like, knock, knock, knock. I'm coming for you. <laughs> um, and then the next night, next day, being in an intimate space with you. And um, I had a very strong, I'll say traumatic response, but basically my, my body let go. My body let go of the internalized, of certain piece of the internalized transphobia that, that I had about myself and what it looked like was, um, well, it felt like I was falling apart and in that my safe space was, um, complete darkness. Um, I think I probably, it may have looked like I went somewhere that maybe no one would have known what was going on. It felt like I was dying. It felt like I was falling apart. Um, I was completely out of control of what was happening. And one thing I kept thinking was just keep, let this, just let this happen. It's like, um, because you just like, you're on a, a rushing river. You can't, you can't stop it. And so I had a voice in my head where it was like you're where it said um you're you're trans and we're in we're in one room you and I together and it's like you're trans and it just kind of like kept getting louder and the louder it got the more scared I got and eventually um like I couldn't keep it together anymore and so the the response was um crying shaking like I came apart mm -hmm. and um, I think, I think I even like hopped up off, off the bed and like doubled over. I couldn't speak, couldn't tell you what was going on. Like, I think I said, I think I'm trans or yeah. I'm trans. That's all I could say. Cause I knew like you have to, cause I could see your eyes and you were looking at me like with such love, but also like what is happening and so knowing that like, okay, I have to say, yeah. So I said, I said, I'm trans. And then, um, then like the vulnerability bubble kind of comes over you and you're like, I have to get actually out of here. And so I went to the bathroom and, and started a bath and I'm like, I'm like, still can't get myself together. And I'm still like, my body's still having this strong reaction um, to this truth that I was, um, I think, well, yes, that, that I'd been ignoring and not wanting to see about myself for a long time. And, and then I heard the voice again, it was like, look at yourself. And I had been, I was standing over the, over the sink and there was a mirror and it was, and I was like, no, no, I don't need to look at myself. Like I, I've heard you. And it just kept saying it, look at yourself, look at yourself, look at yourself. And the voice, that voice kept getting louder and louder. And then finally, um, it kind of felt like 
um, you know, something lifting my head, but like really calmly and uh, with, with care and looking at my face and um, looking in, looking into my own eyes and like, this is, this is the face of transgender and you're not dead. You survived. You totally survived. Um, you know, later, of course, the whole vulnerability bubble, you know, comes over you again, but, you know, I think looking back, what it was, was the, the five-year-old self that was like, you're not a girl and you're not a boy, but you're, but you don't know. And no one knows. And, 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 um, I'd stuffed all that down because I had nowhere to put it. And so um, that was, so it came out very, it came out how it came. I was going to label it. And then I'm like, no, I'm not going to label it. it. Just came out how it came out. Yeah. It's, it's bringing, it's bringing me, bringing me back to that, to that time. And thank you for, thank you for putting all this out there because before I get to like what my, you know, my, my small part of this was, I want to um, acknowledge for our listeners that part of where I think transphobia comes from is our inability to talk about the trans experience and to hear it from the actual folks that live it. <laughs> and instead we've had narratives placed upon us from extremes And we know that there's a lot of transphobia still out there. We know that there's absolutely horrific things that happen to trans people because of them. So I just, I mean, you're my, you're my wife and we're married and yes, I call Alex, my wife, my they, them wife, we've, (laughs) we've explored all the names. This is the one that fits the best. Um, I'm just in awe of the, the power of you sharing your experience, what that can have on someone that's listening, just to change the narrative, even in the slightest to understand that, you know, coming to this authentic place that you are, Mm -hmm. that for some folks, yourself included, it was dealing with your own internalized hatred of something. Yeah. Um, that this isn't something people try on. It's not something that's trendy. It's not something with younger generations where it's like, oh, well, everybody's something now. No, this was an incredible release, I think, for you. Yeah. And um, being the partner that that witnessed it, and again, this is going to come, we'll go deeper into this in, in a future podcast episode where we talk about sort of the broader experience of being the, the partner of a non-binary or trans person. And just, you know, there's not a lot of information out there about that either. But from my perspective, you know, you're, you're in a relationship with someone and listen, like you, you not fitting solidly into like a, a sort of label or a box of what gender is like not a surprise, um, not a surprise to me at all, but there was a huge change in you when you finally had that realization. I think in being in a relationship with you for years of friendship, and then it's, you know, obviously started to change from friendship, but really when I think about like when our relationship started, it was after that moment because mm-hmm. I, I never even had the opportunity to know who you really were. Cause you never had even granted that opportunity to yourself. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I always want to like, 
because you've been you you un, you unlocked things in me because of who you are my guess is i probably made you feel pretty safe to explore it yeah. right um, which is your job as a partner regardless yeah. <laughs> of what it is that the partner's experiencing like it wasn't about me it's still not about me it's about you yeah um but i guess my question because we're we're talking a little bit about um sexual experiences yeah. today so obviously you were sexually, you were a sexually active person mm -hmm. before you transitioned. Mm -hmm. How is sex different for you now? Um, I'm present. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am thinking, I, well, sometimes, you know, it's not, I'm not thinking, which is, um, which is, more just feeling and being with you and, and having this experience together. And, but it's like, um, it is when you know who you, well, I said that when you know who you are, everything is better. And so when I acknowledge these, you know, people say, Oh, they're just labels. Like why so many labels? I'm like, this, this is actually like the, this is my life. Like being able to understand Yes, it's a small part of who I am, but it's their powerful words to also communicate with the outside world of, of who I am. So I think sex became, um, you know, just like my identity, I didn't have to hide. I didn't have to hide. And so I was able to explore um, movement and um, my own body in ways that uh that i hadn't before and um also being wanting to know someone else's body that you know it, you, there's this just this like it's outside it's knowing yourself which also wants you 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 want to know someone else intimately as well um i can't tell you how many times you know um well, I'm being a, a little details of, of us, but just having extraordinary experiences because of the safety and the love and the comfort and the, so, um, yeah, really transformative. So, yeah, I, I, so, I, 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 did I, I answer I, your question. You did. Like, I guess what I hear you saying is that, you know, there's pre-transition and, you probably, I think you've told me this before, like you viewed sex as something you could remove yourself from the emotion of. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, in my, my own transness, like I think for a long time, I really rejected or misunderstood what my masculinity meant. And so that, that was, that would show up in how, um, you know, what I thought it meant to, what I thought it meant to how I'm sorry, what, it th what I thought it meant um, and how I should show up during sex. I mean, that's a rabbit hole. We could spend a lot of time going down. Yeah. We don't have to go down that. Right we now. don't have to, but I guess the one sentence about it is like, we definitely portray um, heteronormative sex as roles of, you know, feminine and masculine. Yeah. And um, the feminine roles of sex are sometimes really confusing. Yeah. Um. And my God, I mean, you, we could, we could literally do an entire podcast series about 
how the patriarchy has impacted um, women and sex in the way that we see it, mm-hmm. value systems around it. Um, even, God, even in our fucking country right now, the way that we're regulating um, women's bodies. I mean, all, all of it, this is a rabbit hole that we could go down, but the sentence that I'm going to latch on to what you said is, you know, obviously like you, you show up in a more physical or I'm sorry, in a more masculine presenting body. Yeah. And so knowing that the sort of normative that was put upon you around like femininity and sex experience, that might not have been something that felt really natural to you. Yeah. And, and I think it's understanding, it was understanding that it's, it's not, well, again, this is like a, like a non-binary binary thing. For me, it wasn't that I was, I was trying to lean into femininity, uh, being, being in a female assigned female body. And then, um, rejecting my own masculinity because, because if, if I'm more masculine, but I have this female body, it just made everything really messy. And so, um, now it's like, you know, I think that I just shut everything down and off and I was not really present during sexual experiences. And, um, and, and now it's learning that like, I'm a really, uh, this is kind of funny, but I mean, I mean, active participant in, in sex, like the, you're an energetic sex. I'm an energetic. Style. Yeah. Like that we're, we're quoting from a quiz. Yeah. Like being present and it's not that I'm moving more masculine or I'm, or I'm moving more feminine or it's just, I'm there and I'm it. I think you just allow yourself to move. Yeah. You allow yourself to move in a way that feels right to you. Yeah. I think because I'm no longer scared of who I am, I can actually move. I'm not frozen anymore. Oh man. I I guess if we should acknowledge, like there's a lot of reasons why a person might feel frozen during sex. Yeah. Um, but for you, it's, I I can, uh, you know, it's, it's life-changing, right? Mm -hmm. Like to have that, Hey, this is who, this is who I am. And I get to move in the way that I feel. Yeah. So I'm sure like it changed everything. It did. Mm. So for our non-binary and transgender folks that are out there, if you haven't had sex yet, find a partner that's very safe, mm-hmm. very loving, very connected. Yeah. Yeah. I have so many. Okay. Yep. Are you getting like a ton of thoughts? Do you want to, can we take a quick pause and then we'll come back? I'm getting flooded with thoughts. Yes. Okay. Let's we'll be listeners. We'll be right back. We're going to take a pause. Okay. We're back. And Captain Underbite came to join us. <laughs> he's literally sitting in the chair next to me with a microphone in front of him. (laughs) That microphone is turned off. Let's not tell him. Let's not tell him. We're all here to listen to you, Captain Underbite. He looks so cute. He's hilarious. He's so cute. He's so cute, but he's such trouble. (laughs) He really is sitting like in front of the microphone. Like he's on this podcast with us. He's ready for a glass of bourbon. I'm ready for a glass of bourbon. (laughs) Jesus. Okay. Anyway, anyway, so Alex, you wanted to share a little bit more and then, yeah. Sorry, yeah. So like there's the, there's the narratives that we learn about being transgender, um, the internalized homophobia and the messages we get about what it means and what can happen. But, you know, to the, on the energetic level, um, you end up not feeling, I felt what I realized was what happened was I felt, I didn't feel safe in my body. 
and um, to to be myself and <laughs> Captain Underbite. I have to picture. Keep going, Alex. Um, and that all of the ways when you you know when you don't claim yourself. And then you put yourself in situations where, um, you know, the partner isn't safe or um, it was just years. It was like four decades of you can you, like your home, you can feel, yes, you have this word now, this is who you are, but also the door and it was up to me to step through it to regain the sense of safety in my own body. So that's the the part that you and I talk about this a lot, safety in your own body and how that links to experience. Yeah. Sexual experience. Um, I know we've, we talk about this an awful lot because we both have experiences of safety, but from very different, a, a different, you know, obviously we're, you know, both have had our own experiences, but for you, it really was becoming to your authentic self. You had to be in a safe environment to get there. And then once you got there, everything kind of changed. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, there was still a lot of work to do, but, um, but that, that initial flip of the switch or like the turnover, like, like, okay, you push through that now. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a bit for, for non-heteronormative couples, whether it's queer or trans or non-binary or whatever, there's a bit of like this deconstruction you have to have of like, what actually is sex? Mm -hmm. Because most of us have, were taught that sex had something to do with penetration. Yeah. And it's not penetration and procreation. Penetration, procreation for men's entertainment. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how long can our podcast be? Yeah. So this is a topic that you and I, um, we, we tend to talk about a lot in our, not necessarily on the podcast, but here we are sharing it. Yeah. So if our, you know, podcast being how to be queer in a heteronormative world, there's a lot to deconstruct there of like, what do you even consider sex to be? And I would encourage even people that are like, even if you are in the heteronormative world, you should be deconstructing that, mm-hmm. right? That sex isn't necessarily penetration. It's not. And it seems to be very, very focused off of when a, when a man achieves an orgasm. Yeah. I mean, in trainings, I've told people like, you can be um, heterosexual men they loved, they hate hearing this. You'd be a heterosexual man and have, um, have sex with a man and not be gay. And that blows, they they hate that. Keep going. (laughs) Break that, break that sentence up for us. Well, it's like, you know, you can, I think actually that's all I got. It's it, it, um, that these things can be can coexist. You can be a heterosexual man, be married to a woman because, you know, marriage and your relationship is all defined on how you feel. And you can still have sex with men and not be gay because your sexuality is who you are, you know, Mm -hmm. but like, if that's what someone wants to do, you know, 
um, that's, that's there. Am I going down a hole again? No, I don't think you're going down a hole, a hole at all. It's, it's a fascinating thing to me that, because I'm going to relate this to, um, to myself for a minute that I identify as a lesbian, Mm -hmm. but the person I have sex with does not identify as a woman. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change the fact that that's how I identify. Right. Because that's who I am. Right. So in sense, you could potentially have sex with whomever you want. And it's all about how you choose to identify yourself or not identify yourself. Yeah. So I get your, I get the larger point that you're, you're making is that we really do tend to put a lot of definitions and control over who we do, what with our bodies and what we do. And we like to put it in these definitions. And quite honestly, those definitions just might not work for everyone. Right. So and all things that you learn, right? Yeah. Um, don't be, don't be the person that thinks because a definition works for you that it's going to work for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we're, we're going to go into like safety and body and. Yeah. I, one of the things that you, it's funny. Cause we watched on love sex goop lab, which you adore uh-huh. my favorite. You love watching this. You got to tell everybody what it is. Cause it, it's like my moment of like total uncomfortableness. So there's a show on Netflix called goop lab and she, Gwyneth Paltrow makes her, makes people do all sorts of quote unquote weird things. Um, but it's all rooted in healing. And she, I love, I'm fascinated with it because she brings to the screen um, these very less than mainstream ideas on um, how to heal and, and healing is, is, is messy. And it's, um, you know, we all heal in different ways and we think it's like in a therapist's office and it's really not, it's like, you know, so they go do like cold water therapy and all sorts of stuff. Anyway. So Gwyneth did, um, a series and it's called love sex and goop lab and where they're overlaying the healing aspect and then sexual experiences and how, and it's not that they're, um, that the product is the, the couples having better sex, but really what they're doing is there's erotic coaches on the show and the erotic coaches are coaching each person individually and then together, which the outcome is better sex. Yeah, which the show, honestly, like it's, it's super fascinating. Yeah. Um, just to give like a highlight of like what some of these were is there was one couple that, um, I think they had seen sex very much as like, okay, it's, it's penetration. It's, he has an orgasm. Hey, we're done. Yay. Yeah. And so for this one couple, it was about sinking into your body through breath mm-hmm. and, um, just understanding of like how to, uh, I, I, and, and this is something breath work is like a real challenge for me. <laughs> I have a really hard time doing it, even though everybody keeps telling me how wonderful it is. This makes progress. Makes me fucking anxiety (laughs) ball nightmare. Um, But breath work was one of them. Another one was really fascinating because it was a man who I I guess maybe had felt really hyper-criticized by his mother. Mm. And so how he had to like, essentially like build up some confidence in the bedroom. Yeah. And so they worked with, um, with them with some sort of like, I guess role play is the word I would use, but I don't know that that is exactly what it was. Um, yeah. And then there was another couple. Cause you're changing your own narrative. Yeah. And then there was a, another couple where the, the one it was, it was a lesbian couple. And the one woman was like a serial cheater. 
Yeah. Um, not necessarily, not with the woman that she was on the show with, but like all of her previous relationships, you know, she would like love to fall in love, would love to have like those early stages of sex. And then it would get too intimate and she would be like, and I'm out of here. And she really didn't want to have that experience with the partner that she was, was finally with. And so Gwyneth, God fucking bless Gwyneth. And I wonder if Gwyneth does all this shit. Like, yeah. We'll talk about like self-awareness too. Like being able to be like, I know this about myself and I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm, I'm like, do you think, I think when it does all this stuff with like her, her husband, maybe, I, I don't would, know. I, I would, would think so. I would, I, I think she's that person. Yeah. I yeah. felt like from watching it, like she doesn't hold herself out of doing these things. She yeah. just doesn't film herself doing it, yeah. which is that's her prerogative. And yeah. obviously I'm sure these, these people seem very comfortable with being filmed doing it anyway. What I learned from watching it and also acknowledging my own discomfort in watching it is that when we talk about like sinking into the authenticity of your body, I still got some serious work to do. Um, even though I, you know, I've on one hand, I'm like, I'm obviously in a very safe, loving, intimate, connected, wonderful relationship. I don't even think I was able to look at this stuff about myself because I wasn't before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now that I'm looking at it, like the thing that's, I know I'm really, I'm committed to working on is, you know, so sex was defined with defined me by two very clear things, procreation and penetration, but there's a third one that as I've gotten older, I've really started to uncover about myself. And that is that pleasure is only for certain body types. And that if your body type falls outside of, you know, what, what, whatever you deem is like perfect, Mm -hmm. that you're somehow like, it's really hard to connect to pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so I've been, um, spending a lot of time, like kind of deconstructing, like where those thoughts came from. And it's not hard to figure out. Like when you think of like all of the images of like people that, you know, whether it was like, you know, people in movies having sex or uh, I've, I've said this on here before, I'm not like a real um, pornography watcher, but like, I remember like seeing playboys and stuff like that. And obviously I've seen, I've seen porn, um, porn for me is a nightmare because it's so, um, it's so from a male yeah. perspective. I'm like, yeah. I don't know that this, it, it honestly can make me really recoil Yeah, because it's not reflective of the way I see sex, it's not even with the bodies that I want to see having sex. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I see these things, all of the bodies look the same. Yeah. They're all like really able-bodied. They're all really skinny. Um, especially the women they have, like, there's no, no flaws on them. Yeah. Or what would we even consider flaw? There's no cellulite. There's no hair. There's no, you know, body fat. There's just, And so I think in my brain, I started to link that, you know, number one, like pleasure was not the purpose of having a sexual experience. And then the way that it was, was through penetration, which did not like, I was like, this is not working. This isn't working. This isn't working. Um, so figuring out a couple of those things, like, okay, you're having sex with the wrong gender. <laughs> that was a key There's part <laughs> as Deirdre shared with us a couple, a couple months ago, or maybe a couple of weeks ago, when she basically said she kept going to all these therapists that would put her on testosterone. And none of them were like, you're having sex with a man. <laughs> you're Stop. <gay. laughs> you're gay. Go have sex with women and then tell me if you need. So a bit of all that, but then the, the, this other layer for me is 
when I'm in, um, you know, being intimate, a lot of times my head can go to spaces of, I don't feel totally comfortable in my skin Mm -hmm. and I really should feel comfortable in my skin that just because I carry extra weight or I'm going to be 46 or. Well, and let me reframe. You deserve to feel comfortable in your skin. We all do. We all do. Yeah. But that narrative of like people's bodies should look a certain way. And I, and I'm assuming, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that this happens in other people's brains where I can dissociate a little bit of what's happening in the moment because I'm so concerned, like, Oh my God, Alex is going to feel my love handle. Yeah. And they're going to be repulsed by it. And then it's like, I've kind of lost where I am and what we're doing. And I have to work to get myself back to like, just enjoy where you are, your partner. And I kind of joke, I'm like, are you thinking about my love handles? Yeah. No, that's not what you're No, not at all. (laughs) Right. You would not be thinking about my love handles. Nope. <laughs> well, and then I like put it on myself. I'm like, are you thinking about anything negative about Alex's body? And I'm like, fuck no. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do those things to myself um, sometimes. And, and then, um, yeah, I think we all do it to ourselves a little bit, but the power, I think that awareness, we, we read an article earlier about self-awareness as being able to stop knowing that those, those thoughts might not stop but being able to pause the practice that, that the healing comes in the practice of being like, that's actually not true. Like telling yourself what I'm thinking right now that, that this person is judging my body actually isn't true. It's me judging me. And um, back to that safety and trust of, where you really are. Yeah. And so what I'm acknowledging is that me judging me, I'm a judgy little fucker. And no. I need to stop. <laughs> <You're so hard. laughs> yeah. I need to stop and and um and 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 get some healing around, you know, sort of the negative self-talk I have around the way I physically show up. So I don't know. I just find that the I know you're always in, in, in you you are um, a really wonderful partner because you really love to dive into. Mm-hmm these things and these topics and understanding sex and healing is a huge one. So yeah, that's going to be my ongoing sort of journey. And then I know in the next couple weeks, um, we're going to be joined by, I'm going to do, so I think we're, I think we're, was there anything else we wanted to cover in this one or can I move to like where we're going? Oh yeah. We can go to where we're going to go. So where we're, where we're going with this is, is Alex kind of, you know, started us off a little bit of the, the experience of being a queer person or in a queer relationship and your partner has transitioned or transitioning or thinking about it and how as a partner, it's not just showing up in the bedroom. Um, it's, it, it's a lot of different ways that you have to show up and what it is, what does it look like as a partner to support a partner through transition? I think we've shared this quote on here, but, or um, data on here before, not a lot relationship, not a lot of relationships right now are surviving transition. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is because there's not enough information out there around what it looks like to show up and be a partner. Mm -hmm. So I know that's one part that we're going to do. We also have some really fun guests coming on. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about that a little bit to kind of give people a heads up of like, you ain't not, you, you are not going to want to miss this. You, you're not going to want to miss it. Yes. So, um, felony misdemeanor, and Miss Zara, they are well. 
do I let them introduce themselves? We're going to let them introduce themselves, but we can at least say a little bit, I think of what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So I'm super passionate about this one subject where I think Felony, who is a sex educator, Yep. Is going to share. They are also the transgender program manager of of youth scene. Yeah. But I'm what I really want us to get into is for parents out there that are listening. And if your child is queer, how are you talking to them about sex? Yeah. That's a huge topic that we have not gotten into on this podcast yet because you as a cisgendered hetero person, like it is our job as parents, obviously to have open and helpful and supportive conversations with our children about sex. What do you do when your child is queer and you are not, how are you going into those conversations and being really supportive so that they are having safe and intimate connection with folks? Yeah. And, and, you know, and I'm really passionate about supporting the the caregivers and the parents of trans kids, as well as of course, trans kids, but, you know, just that, that we're having those conversations around, um, what's coming up for parents and caregivers, because when your kid comes to you and says, Hey, I'm trans, um, and you, there's always, you know, opportunities for healing, but, um, you don't want to make them, you don't, you don't want to reject them because they're already kind of in a sense, um, gonna, well, feeling vulnerable. They're feeling vulnerable. I was struggling to like, you know, f- frame it like, because they're really, I mean, they're unicorns, they're, you know, gifts of this world, of course. And so um, you want to support them and you can't change who they are and just, you want to support them and um, okay. You want these. Yeah. I'm going off on now. No, just I, think really, it's, I think it's, I'm super excited for that conversation. Yeah. So, so when you, even though if you, if your kid is having some like gender dysphoria or not feeling connected to their body, back to this whole body thing, you know, how do you talk to your kid about queer sex as a teen? Cause guess what? Teens have sex um, and giving them the resources and the education. And you have to be able to talk about it and don't like put it off on someone else. Like do I'm really getting a little excited here. Cause it's like, you have to do the work too. Well, cause I think as parents, um, we, we and I, I'm speaking this from the, my perspective of being a parent of a teen right now, so much of like my conversation with, um, with him, he's going to kill me if he listens to this, but a lot of our conversation around sex has been understanding safe sex. Yeah. Yeah. Understanding safe sex consent consent is a big one. Boy, that's led to some really interesting conversations Yeah, because consent is ongoing, Mm -hmm. right? Consent is not just one. Yes. It's a continuous. Yes. The entire time. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for doing me. Yes. But, but, you know, I, I don't know. I try to do my best to have conversations with him, but I think, you know, birth control, safe sex, what does consent look like? What does continuous consent look like? But then there's just that whole emotional piece. I think we can all like, it's interesting. It's like all of our friends that we talk to and we're like, what age did you have sex? And you know, everyone it's, it's consistently in your, in your teens, some people mid teens to late teens. And almost everyone I talk to says the same thing that they were too young when they had sex for the first time. Oh yeah. I feel that way as well. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm trying to have this conversation with him and it's, um, it's, it's really hard, but I do, but I try my best to show up and do it. I mean, consent is really, I feel like it's, it's 
consistent, it's a constant um, conversation, consistent communication, even between two people who are like on the same page, like you're, you're still like, you know, it's a reminder, but for the teens, like this, this, the consent conversation never ends. Well, it should, just, it should right. not ever end. It should not ever end. And just because you've had it once doesn't mean that you will yeah. get it again from that same person. That's right. You can never assume anything. You can never assume anything. And so, yeah, the, just having those conversations. And then I, I do think for, you know, for, for parents who are cisgendered heterosexual, when your child is queer, how are you equipped to have, you know, what kind of conversations do you need to have around like what queer sex is? Uh, making sure that your kid has um, information. Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest thing with queer kids too is, is helping them understand that they're not someone's experiment. I was just going to say, because they're doing so much exploring on their own self in other ways that maybe, you know, a cis kid or a, a straight kid does not. I mean, not that we don't, I'm, I'm saying that kind of weird, but yeah, but you've kind of talked about this in the past and maybe, you know, we go into this in a, in a further podcast, but like you said that you would feel like kind of women would want to experiment with you yeah, because, um, there's a bit of like how you present that might feel safer yeah, or, um, so a woman who's maybe in, in, um, exploring their sexuality. Yeah. Like it's a very different thing for someone to look at, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know that you've said you felt that way. Yeah. I think it, it came, you know, I think it came to, I was really unaware of myself, which in turn um, made me unaware of how I sh showed up and the effect that we have on each other as people and being like, it was really easy to kind of like, you know, yeah. But did you feel like you were used as an experiment sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, well, you, you call, you know, bro friend and I are like the gateway, gay. the gateway gays, because we're, we're, um, we blur that line just of, masculine enough, right. For gender. And so somehow we get interpreted, like people literally have like petted me. That's not okay. And like, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm, and you can, you can confuse it for like, oh, you're, I'm, you know, I'm flattered. You, you, you know, are attracted to me and you take it as flattery, but really it's like, wait a minute, th this is really messed up. <laughs> I'm not your experiment. I, I mean, this is a topic that you and I, I, we don't have to talk about it too, too much, but every once in a while we were faced with someone who definitely sees your queerness and thinks that it's okay to to pet you, to joke around with you. Um, what was it? Side dish. Wasn't that what you were called? Just not even that long ago, like yeah. a couple weeks ago, somebody yeah. referred to you as a side, a side dish. dish. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm really not, no, I'm not anybody's side dish. No, 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 no. So yeah, I, we're off a little bit on a, on a tangent, but yep. I, there's something here that I think maybe is, is an interesting topic for further discussion in how we devalue queerness sometimes mm -hmm. and think that it's, um, you know, something for somebody to try on with you and not realizing like the real emotional feelings of that person. Yeah. Um, it's the same way. Like I remember watching, um, real housewives of Beverly Hills, like years ago. And Kyle Richards would refer to her group of friends who identified as queer as 
her gaze. Like last I checked, we weren't open for ownership. And if that's Mm -hmm. really what we're talking about, boy, do we need to have a long conversation about why you think that you get to have ownership over another person who's already in a marginalized community. Oop, I said it. Oh, there you go. Yep. But I hear people say that a lot that, that, oh, well, my gaze, my gaze. And I'm like, that is not okay. Well, then let's just, yeah. And let's just toe into how, how sometimes parents and caregivers can unintentionally, but, you know, use their own child's um, identity against them. And like, you know, well, I'm your parent. I know best. And it's like, no, your child is not your property. They are their own person telling you who they are. You don't get to, you know, and it's very, um, it's just, we don't, you know, there's the conversation between adults about consent and, and teens, but like, you know, younger kids too. Yeah. There's something with being a, a parent. Um, and this is really hard because, you know, I, I, the, the ages of the, the kids, well, I guess there's been different things that are hard about every different age. And there's things that are wonderful about every different age. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, boy, wife, I was a way of balancing itself. Right. So like the physical care that kids need as, as teens is not as much as the emotion, you know, there's always emotional care, but like the demands of, I mean, I remember when my kids were really little and like, they physically can't do anything for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, but the emotional like stuff is pretty easy. Um, where was I going with this? But the, I think the care for understanding sexuality mm-hmm. and that there's a bit of this narrative right now. And, and it was in actually a, a piece that I was working on for my job. There's a bit of this like feeling that, um, this younger generation, Gen, Gen Z, that like, it's this trend to be queer. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't believe that at all. Yeah. I think what we see is society opening. So kids feel more free to express who they are. Yeah. And the second that we say that it's trending, you're really invalidating how a person knows themselves. And quite honestly, every human being should be able to explore who they are without fear of retaliation, judgment, or depending on another person to validate it. Yeah. So like with kids, we say all the time, like, oh, we want to get to a place where like, you don't have to come out you just are. Yeah. So I think right now when they're like, Oh, everybody in, in Gen Z, it's this trend, right. To be, you know, to, to, to explore your identity and your orientation. And I'm like, isn't that just the way we should be all Mm -hmm. of us Yeah, all the time? Yeah. There's a collective awakening happening. And if, you know, the the fact is kids are going to run circles around their parents. If the parents aren't, you know, doing their own work and education around around these topics. Well, and assuming that you only have to do it if your child tells you that they're queer, like, no, this is something that you, everyone needs yeah. to do period as witnessed by our TikTok accounts. Yep. Right. So if you're not following, I think you already said it, but like, if you're not following us on TikTok, like sometimes it's the messages that we put out and mm-hmm. then there's a whole shit ton of education in the comments of yeah. things that people say. Yeah. And how, uh, how apparent it is, how obvious it is. And I say this in a, in a respectful way that, you know, the need for basic education around language. And, um, yeah, so I've been, I've been returning, circling back around to basic education online on our TikToks. But there's basic education. This is really fascinating. And I guess we're like off topic and way over time, but that's okay. Um, 
there's something to, but just because of the, the work that I do every day, basic education and just understanding the privilege that exists around you. If you are living in the center of that identity wheel, which we've talked about a lot on this mm-hmm. podcast. So if you are, if all the different identity markers that you have, if all of those have been historically centered, there's a lot of education you have to do in a lot of spaces, myself included, right? Like I, I'm completely able-bodied, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm, I'm able, my body is, is healthy and able to do pretty much anything I would want it to do. And I don't, um, one of the tricks if listeners, you think about this is if you can think about walking out of your door and doing errands, shopping, walking to your mailbox, getting in and out of a car, getting in and out of a building. If you are like not having to think about how you're going to do those things, like even curbs, if you don't have to think about where curbs are, that's privilege. Mm. That's able, able-bodied, right? Yeah. And so I know that like, you know, doing that identity wheel and just understanding where I fit in the world, it really opened up my eyes to understanding all of the different ways that people live. So whether it was able-bodied, I've learned a shit ton about body shaming culture mm-hmm. and that, you know, if a person is fit or not, it has nothing to do with the way that their body actually looks. Yeah. Um, so, and I think I was talking about this earlier in the podcast, like I have a lot to deconstruct in my head around mass body, mass body, or what is it? The BMI, body mass index, body mass index has been, bullshit. has been super eye opening. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, if, if our listeners really want to kind of come along that journey of like, where do you need to do some learning? It is, it is identity, understanding yourself first and where you fit in that circle of privilege and power, and then expanding your learning to be like, well, what is the experience for someone who's not in there? Mm-hmm. And then really kind of learning. And that has nothing to do with like, I don't care if you're not queer yourself, or if you don't have queer kids, it's a part of life. It's a part of our society. Don't you want to learn about this to be a better ally, to be a better human? Mm-hmm. Don't wait for somebody to be like, oh, now it's in my life. So I should learn about it. That's kind of bullshit. Yep. Should learn about it no matter what. Yep. Okay. Are we done now? Or should we wrap it up? Well, speaking of TikTok, if you want to go check out our, we, we have some some things on there. Alec, um, yours is Kim Salvaggio 101. And my account is Alex, the human human. And you can check us the podcast out. You can email us at how to be queer podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram and Facebook on balls of magic. That's what you are. That's what we are. Yeah. And yeah, reach out. There's lots of opportunities for connection. Thank y'all for listening. Thanks for listening. Happy day.